1 John chapter 4, verse 13 is where we find ourselves this morning. This is God's holy and inspired word. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Last week, we, we talked about this passage in chapter 14, and I mentioned that John, who wrote this letter, uh, he is known as being the apostle of love. John loved love. He loved to write about it. He loved to talk about it. He loved to demonstrate it. And as I mentioned last week, in this chapter, chapter four, we see this agape love word 27 times scattered throughout this chapter. John wanted to emphasize this point of love. And last week, as we looked at the prior verses, we, we saw that John defined love as being originated from God, as being manifested and demonstrated by Jesus the Son, and then as being demonstrated by his people, as being lived out by his people. John continued this theme of love by giving us three more points in the text I just read to you. And the points today are, love is evidence that we have the Holy Spirit, Love gives confidence to face judgment day and our fears, and love must be lived out by his people. So the first thing we see here in verses 13 through 16 is that love is evidence that we have the Holy Spirit. And as I was preparing this message this week, I went back and looked at the prior sermons and also the, the prior messages that I've given, and I've discovered that there are three main themes to the letter of 1 John and I'll help it make it easy for you, and that's three A's. The, the first word or theme that I've noticed as we've journeyed through this letter is agape, agape love. It's saturated throughout this letter, and that is the love of God to his people, the unconditional love that he has for his people. So that's the first word I mentioned or I, I, I came across throughout the letter. The second A that I've seen is abide, John keeps, throughout this letter, he keeps honing in on this word abide. It means to remain with God as he remains in us. And even in these first four verses, verses 13 through 16, you see the word abide four times. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And then in verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So the second theme I've noticed here is this word abide, how we remain in God as he remains in us. John 
mentions that throughout this letter. The third word I've noticed as we've gone through this journey of this letter is assurance. Agape love, abiding in God, and assurance that Christians can have assurance and confidence that we are indeed believers, that we are children of God. We can have confidence and assurance that when we die, we will go to heaven. We have been saved, delivered from our sins, and we can rest assured knowing that truth. And John mentions that throughout this letter over and over and over again. By this, we will know we can have confidence because of not only what we know, but because of what God has done for us. And what I find interesting is, is as we ask ourselves the question throughout our lifetime, how can I know that I know, or how can I know that I'm a believer? John once again answers that question in these verses. And what I love about it is, is he mentions the Trinity. Because the question I have for you is, how can you have full assurance how can you know that you indeed are a Christian? How can you know that one day when you die, you'll be in heaven? Well, I'll tell you how you can know. It's God. It's the Trinity. And what we see in verses 13 is that God gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell within us. In verses 14 and 15, God sent his son as a gift to us of grace so that we could cling to him and cherish him. And he sent his son to die so that we wouldn't have to. And then verses 14 through 16, we see the Father play out his plan and how he did all of these things because he shows, up, shows us agape love. So how can we be assured of our salvation? Well, God, he's the one who assures us. There's nothing we can do that can earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do that can reach God. That's why he came to reach us through his son. That's why he gives us his Holy Spirit. And so the first thing we see here in verse 13 is that God has given us this gift of his Holy Spirit. It says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. You know why we are able to remain in God? It's not because of our own willpower or our own strength. It's because of God. It's because he remains in us. That's how we are able to remain in him. This reminds me of Romans chapter eight, verse 14 through 17, when Paul said, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What Paul was writing here in Romans is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he testifies to our spirit that we are indeed children of God. And that is what we are. We are children of God. So how can you know that you're a Christian? Well, the Holy Spirit is in you. And I wanna ask you a hard question. Many of you, many of us live very busy, hectic lives. We're in America. This is what we do in America. We have our schedules full from when we wake up to when we go to bed. When's the last time you actually thought about the Holy Spirit living in you? In your busy life, have you ever taken the time throughout your crazy busy day to ask yourself, okay, what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to live in me? What does that look like practically? When's the last time you asked yourself that question? 
I want to encourage you to think about that this week. Throughout the busyness of your life, take a few moments throughout the day and remind yourself of this promise that the Holy Spirit has entered you. He is in you as a believer. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there's peace, there's contentment, there's comfort. God is in you. He remains in you. He will not leave you. He's with you until the end. And that's the promise that John gives us through his word here. The gift that God has given us is his spirit. He's also given us another gift. He's given us his son, verse 14 and 15. We have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. What verse 15 is saying here is that the only God man presented in this verse can save anyone in this world. He's the only way to the Father. He's not gonna save everyone. He didn't come for everyone. He's going to save his people, but he can do it all. He can save anyone. And that's the, that's the power that's in Jesus. And that's what John wanted his writers or his, his audience to know. That there's power in the Spirit. There's power in the Son. And if you remain in the Son through the Spirit, then you will have full assurance that you will indeed be with Jesus in heaven forever. Now, what's, what's interesting is as I was thinking about the audience that he was writing to, these people were living in some hard times in Ephesus. They had all of these false teachers that were coming into their churches and they were teaching them all these false teachings. Uh, one, one thing they said is that Jesus never came in the flesh that he didn't actually come in human form. Another thing they taught them was that they, they were trying to teach the people of God is that if, if you, you aren't really a true believer until you have this special knowledge that we know and that we've experienced. These false teachers were infiltrating amongst God's people in Ephesus. And so John wrote this letter saying, enough of these people. Don't listen to them. Get them out of your circles because their they're teaching is false but instead know that you are beloved. Know that Jesus loves you and get these people out of your churches because they're trouble. And so I, I can only imagine when John's audience read these words, how encouraged they were. Because a lot of them were dealing with doubt. A lot of them were, were wondering, well, should I have that special knowledge that these other people have? And John is reminding them, no, you have the special knowledge and his name is Jesus. You've committed your life to following him, so now live your life in confidence, knowing that he's with you and that he remains in you. The third thing we see about the Trinity here is the Father, verse 16, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You can know that you're a believer by your love towards him, by your love towards other people. That's how you can know if you're indeed a Christian or not. You know, as I was thinking about our identity, the Holy Spirit is in us and it's evidence through our love. I couldn't help but think of a birthmark. And some of you have birthmarks on your face or on your body. I've got this little mark here. When I was a kid, I accidentally was trying to open up a can. I didn't know how to use a can opener, so I had a knife. And I kid you not, my parents weren't around and I was poking it. <laughs> I was poking the top of the can with a knife and it slit my, my hand. I have this permanent little mark on me. You know, but that defines a moment in my life, but I'll have it the rest of my life. Some of you have a mole or a birthmark that distinguishes you from anyone else. I also think about companies that 
are really good at marketing, and they'll make a logo, and you only can see the logo, or you only will have to see the logo to know what company it is. They don't even have to say the name of the company. Think about Nike. Think about the Golden Arches. Think about Under Armour. These are logos that don't even have the title of the company on it, but you just know because they've done a good job marketing. I also think about employer, employees, certain kind of professions like doctors who wear their medical garb. You know that there's a nurse or doctor around. I think about a judge who wears a robe. You know that they're a judge. I think about a police officer who wears a uniform or a military person who wears a uniform. That stands out. They, you can know by what they're wearing. How can people know that we're believers? The distinguishing mark of a believer that stands out to the rest of the world is our love. Is our love. That's our mark. That's our birthmark. That's our mark that distinguishes us from everyone else. John 13, 35 tells us that by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, the Holy Spirit is evidence of God working in our lives, that we are indeed Christians. Another analogy I couldn't help but think of is a pregnant woman. <laughs> I've never been pregnant, I never will be, obviously. But there are a lot of women in this room that have been. And you remember when you were pregnant, your body changed. You had all these hormones that changed. Your body began to expand because there was a baby inside of you growing. There was change happening from within you, and all of a sudden, within months, the outward change took place. What is the change for the believer? The change is the Holy Spirit is among us, and his love is now in us. And so, do people see that change outwardly in our lives, or do they not? Can they notice that there's something that has changed from within us, or do they not? And that's what John is getting at here. You will know your believer by your love for others. It's the distinguishing mark between Christians and non-Christians. People will know that you are indeed a Christian because you loved them and you love others. The second thing that John mentions here in this text is that love, it gives confidence to face judgment day and our fears. Verses 17 to 18. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. These are classic verses uh, in, in, in the New Testament. Perfect love casts out fear. We love because he first loved us. I mean, these are verses I grew up learning. I'm sure you did too in the church. But verse 17 here, it tells us what everyone wants to have. And verse 18 tells us what everyone wants to get rid of. Everyone wants to have and experience perfect love. Everyone wants to get rid of fear. John, he wrote this letter when he was in his 80s. He knew the end of his life was in sight. He was in his 80s. He knew every day he was living was one day closer to his death and to heaven. And I believe that's why even more so John talked about having assurance of salvation because he was so close to the end. He knew death was coming. And in his 80s, he writes this letter and he says here, you will die. 
And when you die, one day you will face God on the judgment throne. Are you prepared for that day? Are you ready to face God on judgment day? You know, a lot of people will say, you can't scare people into heaven. You can't scare people out of hell. That's not a good tactic. But let me remind you that Jesus did it. In Matthew chapter 10, do you know what he said? Listen to these words. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Firm words from Jesus. He's saying, I want you to fear God because he's the only one who can destroy your soul. No man can destroy your soul. They can destroy your body, but they can't destroy your soul. Earlier in Matthew 10, look what Jesus said. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying to his disciples, there's going to be people who will just be arrogant and mean and ruthless to you. Don't have anything to do with them because they're going to have their day one day and it's going to be in hell. If that doesn't wake you up, I don't know what will. You know, fear can actually be a very good motivation. If I'm driving 100 miles down the road an hour and I come across a, or come upon a cliff and there's a sharp turn, do you think I'm going to slow down? Absolutely. Why? Because of fear. If I don't slow down and I keep going 100 miles an hour around the curve, I'm going to die and the people in the car are going to die with me. Fear can be a motivator. So let me ask you this question. What about you? Do you know where you're going when you die? We're all going to die. I've done probably 90 funerals in my life. I've done a lot lately. We're all going to die. It's coming. Jesus is going to return. That's coming. We're going to face a judgment day. That's coming. Are you afraid right now of what that's going to look like? Or are you confident? Are you confident? Do you know, man, when I die, I know for certain I'm going to heaven. Or man, when I die and I face judgment, see, God's gonna, he's gonna say you're forgiven. Come on into heaven. Do you believe that to be true? What does John say? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This is one of those verses that a lot of us as Christians know, perfect love casts out fear, but we think out of context. We think, oh, this means any, any fear that I have. John's talking about judgment day. He's talking about the end. He's not talking about any fear that we have, although we can apply that to our lives. He's talking about the end. So are you afraid of the end or are you confident? My question to you is, how can you be confident? John tells us, perfect love casts out fear. You know me, I like analogies to help us understand this. Many of you are parents in the room. All of us have had parents. I want you to imagine being a parent and in the middle of the night, your child wakes up having a nightmare. It's dark, they're scared to death. They go through the valley of the, of the shadow of death through their room. They go through the, the, the dark hallway. They enter your room and it's dark and they're shaking because they had a nightmare or they're shaking because the thunder is going on outside and it woke them up and they wake you up. As a good parent, what would you do if your kid came to your room scared to death in the middle of the night? I would hope you would hold them. 
you would, you would cuddle them. You'd keep them tight and remind them that you're there, that you love them, that you won't let them go. Now, your kid, you'll notice if you do that, they'll stop shaking, they'll calm down. Eventually, they'll be able to go back to sleep, but the thunder still is happening. The nightmare still might be occurring, but the reality is, is now they're grounded in your love, and it gives them a sense of peace. That's what I'm talking about. If you don't want to be afraid of judgment day, what do you have to do? You got to embrace the Father's love because he will embrace you. Perfect love that will cast out fear. He's going to hold you. He won't let you go. So whenever fear strikes, know he's got you with his grip. The way to become a Christian is you confess before God that I'm a sinner. You believe that Jesus came to die for your sins and you commit your life to following him and you remind yourself of that warm hug that the Father gives you as you approach the nightmares of life. If you've never committed your life to following Jesus, I encourage you to do it right now. And I'm gonna help you do it. I want everybody to close your eyes and bow your head. And if you wanna give your life to Christ, please repeat these words silently with me. Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you came to die for me. I now turn from my self-trust and trust in you alone for my salvation. Help me be the person you want me to be. And please cast out my fears and give me confidence for heaven from now on. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you committed your life to Christ just now, uh, talk to me after, talk to our elders after, talk to our staff after, and we'll help you grow in your faith in Jesus. Most of us here are believers. I know most of you in here. I know your love for Christ. But you also experience fear on this side of heaven. You might be wondering, is there going to be a World War III? What's China gonna do? You might be wondering, what's gonna happen with this year's election? You might be wondering, are we going to enter a recession? You might be wondering, am I gonna lose my 401k? Am I gonna have enough to make it when I retire? You might be wondering, what's gonna happen to my kids in the future? You know, many, many of us, we allow fear to grip our souls and it keeps us up at night. This is where this verse can come in to play. Perfect love cast out all fear. I encourage you, if fear strikes your heart this week and you begin to worry about something, remember that analogy of that parent holding his or her child in their hands in the middle of the night and give your life to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm afraid right now, but I know you've got me. Perfect love cast out all fear. Love is evidence that we have the Holy Spirit. Love gives confidence to face judgment day and our fears. And love must be lived out. We love because he first loved us. 
We cannot love if we do not have God. We must start with his love in order to love others. Love is a command that reflects the very character of who God is. In verse 20 and 21, John finished here this chapter by saying, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Unless you've been filled up with the love of God, you can't love others. John is saying to love God and to hate your brother is to live a lie. John's logic here is flawless. We can call it the lesser to greater analogy. In other words, if you do not have the ability to love your brother that you can see, then it's impossible to love God who you cannot see. If you do not manage to love his creatures, then how can you love the creator? If you not have the capacity to love his children, then how can you love the father? It's the greater or the lesser to greater analogy here. And John Stodd said it this way. He said, it is obviously easier to love and serve a visible man than an invisible God. And if we fail in the easier task of loving a visible man or of not loving an invisible man, it is absurd to claim success in the harder. If we fail the easier task of loving our brothers and sisters whom we can see, it's absurd to claim success in the harder of loving God who we cannot see. God calls us to walk in the truth, and this involves loving him and it involves loving others. So how can we love others? Well, I've already said the Holy Spirit is in us. He helps us love others because he remains in us. I want you to think about agape love. Just as God loved us and sent his son to die for us, so we are to give our lives to others. I want you to think about you being in a burning building, your home, your home catches on fire. You think that all of your family members have escaped that house and then you think you're the last one to get out. You get out of the house alive and you realize that your son or daughter or your husband or your, or your spouse is still remaining in the house. They're yelling, you hear a faint cry saying, help me, I can't get out. What would you do in that situation? I'll tell you what I would do. I would run back in the house. I would do everything I could to get back in that house to rescue my loved one. Why? Because I loved them. I wouldn't think twice about it. Now, granted, I might die, but I would go. You see, perfect love casts out fear. And what I mean by that is, if I truly love them, I'm not gonna be afraid of getting burned. I'm not gonna be afraid of dying. Adrenaline would kick in and I would go and I would try to get them. I would do everything I could to get them outside of the house. What about you? Do you have that kind of love for your loved ones? Do you have that kind of love for others? That's the kind of love that John is referring to here. He's saying this is the kind of sacrificial, others-minded, others-focused love that we are to have towards our brothers and sisters. And so to bring all this sermon home, I want you to think about three application points. I want you to ask yourself this week, can people see the birthmark on me? Are the changes that are happening inside of me revealing to others on the outside? 
And if not, ask yourself, how can I show the love of Jesus to someone this week? Second thing, what are you afraid of? What keeps you up at night? When you're afraid, I want you to remember the example of the child waking up in the middle of the night and waking up his parents and them holding them to comfort him. Third, who in your life do you know is in that burning building? Who is a non-believer in your life that you know that you can pray for, that you can share the gospel to? And I would encourage you, begin praying for them and share the gospel of Jesus when God gives you that divine appointment. Pray for them and tell them the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.